Well, a new psychological barrier broken overnight as yields on 10-year treasuries in the US snuck over 3%, however briefly. In Sweden, they had a flash crash, an 8% drop in shares momentarily. We'll give you a brief history of flash crashes today. But the main event, obviously the RBA today. A hike is expected. 15 basis points seems to be the going expectation. But you never know, it could be higher or not at all. Uh, we'll look at all of that today. It's Tuesday the 3rd of May 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, bond yields just keep getting higher, don't they? U.S. 10-year treasuries did hit 3% today. They are very close to that now, up six basis points. We've got less movement at the front end of the yield curve. And I should say it was only at 3% very briefly, but I'm sure they'll be back there again soon. Uh, German bond yields up just three basis points. Same in France. The U.S. dollar is back on the rise. The DXY index up 0.6%, with a 0.4% fall in the euro. About the same for the yen. The pound down 0.7%. The Aussie down just 0.1%, having climbed back a bit over the last hour or so. And stocks have been uh, climbing back as well. Look at this. Earlier, we'd seen a 1.5% fall in the S&P 500. That became a 0.4% rise at close. A 1.5% drop in the Dow became a quarter percent rise. A 0.8% fall in the Nasdaq turned to a 1.6% gain in the Nasdaq. So a lot going on in the hour of power uh, this morning in the United States. But that didn't help Europe. Uh, they were closed well before that uh, with a 1.9% drop for the Eurostoxx 50. And small moves in oil, although that's starting to pick up a little as well as the session progresses. Brent and WTI both up around 0.9% this morning. Brent around $108. So obviously it's RBA today. To talk about that and everything else that's going on, here's Ray Attrell from NAB in Sydney. First, I mean, what I find interesting, Ray... I mean, data seems to be coming in softer. We had the the manufacturing PMIs coming in weaker than expected in the US this morning, for example. We've got construction spending almost flat. Manufacturing employment in the ISM numbers is is well down. We've got the Fed still on the road to, to higher rates, doing it faster, even though a slowdown might be happening. And the share market now seemingly brushing it all off as though everything was hunky-dory. It sounds like it, doesn't it? Yes, good morning, Phil. Still... Uh Equities, despite the uh, one of the biggest monthly falls, or one of the biggest monthly falls that we've had in many years on Friday, uh, I'd still argue are, are priced much better for the sort of soft landing scenario than they are for you know the uh, the, the global recession uh, risks, which are obviously getting more and more airplay amongst the uh, the commentariat at least. But um, but certainly interesting. Is that, that why they're the, getting pulled in? That's why they're getting pulled in both directions. Then basically. quite quite possibly there are. Buyers and sellers in, uh, at different points in time. And, you know, that hour of power that you mentioned is, uh, you know, is when a lot of the institutional uh, order flow does hit markets. And uh, obviously, mm. uh, presumably some of the models have, have, have hit the sort of oversold stroke buy signal levels, given the uh, the extent of Friday's uh, losses, which extended, as you say, into the early part of the day. Um, but yes, but you just mentioned the US manufacturing ISM, which has actually come in weaker than you would have believed from the various regional PMIs. And, and one reason for that is that um, none of those regional PMIs capture the that, that part of the United States west of the Rocky Mountains, which effectively is where all of the seaborne trade between China and the US effectively right. takes place. And so so, um, you know, and when we bang on about the fact that, um, you know, what happens with China's manufacturing sector in particular tends to be a harbinger of what will happen in other parts of the world two to three months later. And obviously, you know, we've had some some very weak PMI numbers both in April and, and actually back in March when the Shanghai f- uh, lockdowns first hit. 
Uh, and so the impact of the supply chain disruptions that that is causing, um, probably not yet weaker Chinese demand for imports, so that will undoubtedly show up. You know, it has come across in that, that decline from, what, 57.1 to 55.4 in manufacturing. We shouldn't go overboard because, you know, manufacturing is only 12%. Well, it's, it's still positive, and manufacturing is only 12% of the U.S. economy. But um, uh, we do say that the manufacturing tends to, you know, tends to punch above its weight as far as you know the spillovers that come from manufacturing to uh, to the service side of economies. So uh, it's certainly a warning sign that um, the, the ill winds blowing from China, um, you know, are starting to be felt in in the Western world. Now, talking about warning signs, what about this flash crash uh, on the equity markets in Sweden, falling eight percent? They're down. They finished down just two percent. So down for an eight percent fall. I mean, it picked it all up again almost instantaneously. Well, it was a flash crash. That's what happens. But I mean, is it's, is this a warning? I mean, is it or is it fat buttons, uh, fat fingers on buttons, or what? I mean, you know, there's all sorts of theories about what causes these things. No, that's right. And I, I never quite know how fat fingers work in the uh, in the 21st century. But um, <laughs> but certainly that's been from what the I've fat read. Fat finger <laughs> algorithm. That's well, exactly. And uh, often it is the fact that you know you press the uh, or you press the sell button, and and, and there's a bit of uh, someone's got a bit of food stuck under the key and it keeps on selling but um, um but interestingly that um you know a lot of the flash crashes that we have experienced in recent years and i'm thinking of we had one in sterling you know not long after the brexit referendum uh we obviously had one in the swiss franc um you know shortly after the snb decided to, to stop defending the peg on the Euro-Swiss exchange rate. And, and one of the most recent examples is the Japanese yen, which strengthened dramatically. Um, all of those had some kind of, you know, prior fundamental catalyst, you know, whether it was Brexit, whether it was um, in the case of the yen. I think I recall we had an Apple profits warning on the Friday, um, and no. that uh, led to broad-based stock market weakness at the beginning of that week. But it, so, did um, prices in each of those cases did prices ultimately get down to that level? Was it was it a uh, well in the case of in the case of the UK they certainly did. In the case of the Swiss franc, we mm. did have a rebound, and in the case of the yen, we did see a recovery. But but the you know, the moves always seem to be in the direction that the market is already heading. So if it's uh, you know there was and, and mm. in the case of, of Sweden, let's remember we had that uh, hawkish pivot from the Riksbank last week and uh, rate rises and we did see you know the Swiss the uh, Swedish krona under strong upward pressure so it was an, a not wholly expected yeah. move and you'd expect that to have negative spillovers to the Swedish um, equity market so uh, again you could argue that there was some kind of prior fundamental catalyst for the moves D- doesn't mean we're going to stay down there and as you say we you look at the um, you know you look at the Swedish stock market and it just looks like there was a dirty data point in the uh, in the tick charts but it, I mean, it does show, doesn't it? They're just uh, there's a great deal of volatility everywhere at the moment. Bond markets, uh, the three percent yield for ten year treasuries, we've broken it very briefly. Um, not much movement at the front end on two years, uh, but I mean three percent. Obviously, you know, historically it's not very high, is it? But I mean, if we uh, it, does this mean we're going to we're going to break that barrier more now? Is this is this is there a psychological element to this? Well, I suppose the risk is that that three percent becomes something of a. Uh, of a pivot point rather than a, than a ceiling. Certainly the view of our, our rate strategists, um, you know, has been, you know, for the last sort of six to eight weeks, they've been saying, look, they thought that tens would get up to, to that sort of 3% area, plus or minus. So, um, some kudos to them. Um, but as, uh, you know, you just mentioned that my, uh, one of my colleagues in, uh, in, in, in New Zealand who's written his note today has, has noted that for most of the last 50 years, 
U.S. 10-year treasuries have traded above 3%. So uh, somebody landing from uh, who's been away in, in, in Mars or whatever, or Rip Van Winkle, been asleep the last 10 years, would wonder what all the fuss was about. So, um, well, that know. would be until you, told the children, until you showed them how much housing debt, then they might change their well, tune. Well, absolutely. And as you say, construction <laughs> spending starting to weaken. Are we starting to see signs that the sort of yeah. backlog of construction orders um, is starting to uh, to thin out? And obviously, we've had some pretty significant uh, fall-offs in um, mortgage applications, which has prefaced, um, you know, a slowdown in in housing activity, at least all the blame for which is is, is fully on those thirty year mortgage rates, which are trading well north of five percent. So, um, you yeah. know, if there are you know storm clouds from coming from China, there are obviously some um, grey clouds at least hovering over the uh, the housing market, at least that may have some broader implications well particularly when you know if you're hanging out thinking well is it transitory you know will inflation go down again you you would be for you'd be delaying buying a house wouldn't you but anyway look uh, the big news today half past two in sydney and melbourne the rba announces their rate hike uh there seems to be a, a discrepancy in views on this but uh, the general consensus i know it's the nab view as well uh, 15 basis points uh seems to be the likely outcome today I mean, that is at odds with other central banks, which are all front-loading. You could hardly call a 15, 15 basis point rise front-loading. Um, so I just wonder whether, you know, they're going to have to play catch-up if we see that inflation gets even worse. You know, are they moving too slowly? Well, I think that you know, the point to make is that, I mean, A, it's the, it's the first rate rise that we've had for, for what, over 10 years. Um, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, a, a gentle confirmation, if you like, that the tightening cycle you know, has begun, makes sense. Um, you know, looking at consensus, though, there are, I think there are something like five out of 29 or 30 analysts polled by Bloomberg think that they will stand pat today and, and, and an equal number thinking that they might go all the way to 50 basis points or a 40 basis point rise. We're sort of leaning against the latter because I think that would say frighten the horses, but it would certainly have the market thinking, well, what are you going to do next month? Are you going to do another 50? So, you know, given that the RBA meets monthly, you know, that, that, that it's not like other central banks that are meeting every sort of couple of months. Um, so they could certainly do 15, which is what we expect. They could do another 25 and make clear today, because if we do see a rate change, we would expect a, a press conference or a web, webinar from uh, from Governor Lowe shortly thereafter. And, and, and I would, I'm sure he would leave the market in no uncertain terms, uh, confidence that um, there will probably be a follow-up move in uh, in June, uh, in which case we'd expect that to be 25, and, and probably a subsequent meeting. So we can still get rates up to you know north of 1% in relatively short order. Um, if, if that is the way that the RBA is thinking. But, um, you know, the, the risk today, you know, is probably that they, they stand pat and consistent with the messaging out of the April meeting, which was that they wanted to wait to see data in coming months, plural, which um, strongly implied not just those Q1 CPI numbers from last week, but also um, the wage price index that we'll get later this month. Um, you know, but our view, is, as has been articulated by others, is that, you know, just the extent of the, of the run-up in inflation in the first quarter, um, you know, we think is just too 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 strong for the RBA to ignore today. Right. And Scott and Morrison obviously wouldn't be very happy at all if they did go up 40 basis points today. This is only the second time, I think, isn't it, the interest rates have gone up during a, an election month, and he's been very quick to point out that he uh, he never took the credit when the rates went down. 
but I'll take his word for it. So uh, why should he take the flack when they go up? Is <laughs> basically messaging. Well, so. say that. I'm sure there'll be some uh, some some spin doctoring from both sides. Absolutely. <laughs> but now tell me, <laughs> you know, the, tell infla- me what the inflation forecast. We're going to get that today, aren't we? From the RBA, what's that? Go- and presumably that's going to go up. Well, we remember this, the statements you were talking with Rodrigo yesterday. We won't have that formally presented until the statement of monetary policy. Though oh, again, yeah. uh, if we have a, a Phil Lowe press conference uh, following a rate change today, um, I think can pretty much spill the beans as to exactly what the new forecasts will you know will show and, and that they provide the, the justification for the, the kicking off of the yeah. of the rate cycle but um, but but clearly you know the, the main interest I think will be the extent to which the near term forecasts are, are ratcheted higher uh, and certainly we think that the uh, you know the q2 CPI threatens to be even more of a shocker than the q1 one so, so um, no no yeah. central bank action in there in yeah. Europe of course for quite a while but lots of EU action and the question is whether they're going to ban Russian oil this year and whether they're going to cut more banks off swift so Hungary seems to be holding out on that. Um, and that's the problem with the EU, isn't it? It has to be a unanimous decision. Uh, it's amazing they actually decide anything. But we've got the euro down today, the pound down even more, even though they were they're on holiday. I mean, obviously, the, the, the problem is if they cut imports, that's going to hurt Europe. And others are going to buy up Russian oil like China and Japan now saying that they are pushing ahead with their natural gas pipeline from Siberia. Um, so, um, yeah, and obviously Russia has also got lots of fiscal support from the government, uh, to try and prop up businesses that are being hit by sanctions. So sanctions is a very low, ga- a slow game. You wonder if it's, if it's, if it's going to work at all. So that uncertainty that we're seeing from this war is, is just going to keep on. Uh, you know, hitting away as it is. Well, um, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the real, you know, the real dilemma, particularly for the likes of, uh, you know, the likes of Germany is that, um, you know, they know that if they do sanction, um, even if they just sanction oil, even without gas, then the economy is going to take a big hit. Mm. Um, and if they don't do it, then it, uh, it means that, uh, that Russia will continue to uh, receive a lot of the, the revenue that it needs to continue to, to keep its economy afloat and prosecute the war. So it's a, it's a horrible dilemma in that sense for the likes of, uh, of Germany. But, you know, the news flow is that, um, you know, Germany is sort of inching towards support for a phasing out dependence on oil imports before the end of the year. So we may see further developments there. But uh, certainly gas seems to be a, a red line at the moment, particularly for Germany, that they won't cross. And as you say, Hungary... You know, it's pretty unhappy on both counts and, and does have that veto power. But um, um, So lots to play for there. But we haven't seen a lot of volatility in the energy markets. Uh, no, it's been quite quiet, hasn't it? Anyway, we'll time. get this evening at Eurozone yeah. producer uh, prices. They're expected to go up, uh, irrespective of what's happening in Ukraine. Unemployment, uh, not much movement there. Uh, and the final uh, UK PMIs as well. Uh, and, of course, uh, the FRMC Thursday morning Aussie time, ahead of that, uh, very early for us. Factory orders, the jolts, the job openings, which might fall. Um, but hey, you know, last time there were 11.3 million jobs available. So perhaps not that, not that important. Um, so yeah, I mean, all eyes on the FOMC, obviously later in the week. Yeah, I think so. I think none of, none of those data are particularly top draw. So, um, mm. you know, I don't think they're going to be causing uh, any major volatility before, um, four o'clock uh, in the morning, um, East Coast time here for, for that FOMC decision. But, um, you know, again, it's uh, there's so much discounted that uh, you know you wonder where the surprises are going to come from. But uh, anyway, you can save that for a, a conversation with, uh, with tomorrow one or other yeah. of my colleagues later in the week. Yeah, absolutely, very good. We'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Ray. Uh, catch you again soon. Thank you. Well done, thanks, Phil. The great announcement, of course, isn't till Thursday morning our time, but that's not going to stop us talking about it tomorrow. That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Uh, see you in the morning.